Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series. I'm your host, Casey Nixon. And with us today, we have elder law attorney, Jeffrey Belomo, and client care advocate, Meg Motter for Belomo and Associates, LLC. Jeff and Meg, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Really looking forward to it. Yep. Well, before we get started, Jeff, I want to kick it over to you uh, to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about your background, why you became an attorney, uh, what made you decide to specialize in elder care, estate planning, and how long the Lomo and Associates has been serving our community? Sure. So uh, the why I wanted to be an attorney, I don't know. You know, as a young boy, it was always my kind of what I said I was going to do. Everybody sort of... Uh, laughed and said, yeah, he would be perfect at that. I'm, I'm not sure they meant it the way I took it, which was hearing <laughs> that it would be a good fit for me. Uh, but I just always wanted to do that. And then right before the bar exam, uh, my mom became very ill. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't know the answers. The, the surgeon told us, you know, you should really look into in-home care and assisted living, personal care, nursing homes, hospice care. And I mean, I, I didn't know what any of those words meant. Neither did the surgeon. And then when I went to elder law attorneys to get the answers, it was your very typical $300 an hour. They didn't answer any questions. They basically just took down what you were saying. And then at the end of the hour, it was, well, if you hire me today, I'll roll that $300 into your planning fee of 15,000. But they didn't tell you what that was or what it included and what, how it was going to help. And I became very upset, but when you're, when you're in your 20s and you've been fortunate enough to get, you know, a JD, an ESQ, a CELA after your name, the only thing that you really need is a JOB. So I got a job and working in other firms and I realized pretty quickly that was not who I was and it wasn't what I wanted to uh, have in the future because in 2008, I was leaving a meeting and I was literally shaking the lady's hand saying, well, ma'am, that'll be $300. And if you hire me today, we will roll it over into the planning fee. And I burst into tears. And my client is consoling me, having no idea why she's consoling me, that I'm crying. And it was in that moment that I realized I became one of them. And I called my mom and I said, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm going to be a social worker or a teacher. And she hung up on me and I called her back and she said she was disappointed in me, which of course hurt me. But I said, how could you be disappointed? I'm, I'm running to something that I believe in. And she said, no, you're not. You're running from something you don't believe in. So change it. You know, what you don't like about being a lawyer is the billing practices and that you're hiding the ball and you're not giving the education away. And so we created Belomo and Associates. We are education-based law firm. We educate first and foremost, uh, free workshops. I mean, we're offering several a week now and we have them virtually, we have them live. And so I'm very proud about that. And we've been doing it now for over 12 years. Uh, we've been in the York community uh, as Belomo and Associates serving our community uh, through education-based services. So, Wow, that's great. Thank you. Such a touching story too. And it makes me feel like really your heart is behind this and you're really caring about the people that you work for. And 12 years Absolutely. in the community, that is fantastic. Yeah. Thank certainly you. enjoy it for sure. Yeah. And Meg, same, uh, same thing for you to follow up on that. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, I know your background is in social work. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to go into that field and how that expertise ties into estate planning law? Absolutely. I was in my teens and visited a great uncle in South Carolina who had had a massive stroke and uh, basically fell in love with him. He just was nonverbal, but big grins and lots of love. And that was kind of the turning point for me to decide that I wanted to work with the elderly. Um, I also had watched a movie as a middle schooler that had a social worker in it, and that intrigued me. Um, so fast forward through high school, everybody called me mom. My nickname is in the high school yearbook as mom and just kind of one of those people that took care of other people. Um, the majority of my career has been spent in Maryland for the State Department of Health, uh, working with seniors and the premise being keep them in the least restrictive setting of their choosing. And I did that for about 29 years at the local health department level and then in the state health department overseeing the different counties. And then I jumped from state government into um, hospice in Carroll County, Maryland. And so all things have pointed to helping seniors figure out what's the next best um, step for them. So what I do for the law firm is basically come alongside clients and families and help them figure out what do I need today? What did I need yesterday that I didn't get? And what might I need tomorrow? And that third part is the part we're most excited about is really trying to help people navigate the system before the crisis arises. So that's kind of the arm of what I do for the elder law firm. That's wonderful. Again, a very personal reason why you want to be in this field and want to help your clients and the people that you serve. And Pennsylvania welcomes you. Yoko welcomes you. So thank, thank you so much. Track over the Mason I, I have line. lived in this area for more than 30 years. I just haven't worked here. So I'm super <laughs> excited about all the people I've met. I just have, I can't even speak highly enough of just incredible professionals and, um, so welcoming and just have come up to me and said, what can I do to help you? So definitely a learning curve for the resources, but everyone has knocked it out of the park to help me learn what I need to know about this area. Sounds wonderful to hear. <laughs> and now Jeff, I have a question for you. Uh, when sure. most people hear estate planning, they often think about uh, that coming into the picture kind of after someone passes away and what happens with their assets left behind. But doesn't estate planning really have a much larger impact throughout the entire life? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's the whole origin of the, of the workshops. I mean, we, we define estate planning as I want to control my property while I'm alive and well and plan for me and my loved one if I become disabled. And then in the event that I pass decide who gets it, when they get it, and how they get it. But to me, the after they pass is sort of the afterthought. You know, that's the, all right, well, we'll take care of that at the end. But um, taking care of yourself while you're alive, making sure that you have documents in place so that if you become disabled, who's going to make the decisions and all of that is in place. So thank you for saying that. And you are 100% correct about it. You are welcome. <laughs> And it's my understanding that Pennsylvania has an estate plan for everyone if they don't have their own. And with the way that that is governed, what are some of the reasons people don't set up an estate plan on their own? 
You know, I think the bottom line is they just don't even think about it. They, they don't think it'll ever happen to them. They, they don't think that uh, anything bad could happen. And, you know, if they knew what the intestate succession statute was, I think most of us would. Unfortunately, I don't even think that we realize what it is. Um, I had a, a really good friend of mine who his father passed away, married to the mom, married for 45, 50 years. And uh, of course, the dad did not have uh, a will. There were assets in his name alone. The family comes into the office, of course, thinking that mom's getting 100%. But under the intestate succession statute, mom gets the first 30,000 and then she splits the remainder with the three boys. And they were shocked. And yes, it worked out. And yes, the boys gave the money back to mom. But how many children or how many family members would do that? And how many would be in a position that they could, frankly? So even if they were willing to, you know, if you're in the middle of a divorce, you can't. If you're in the middle of a car accident, a stroke, if you're in a nursing home, there are so many things that are outside of our control that would have not allowed that. So, you know, I think if everybody knew what the statute was, more people would get it done. But frankly, I just think that they live in today and they just don't think it will ever happen to them. That's really eye-opening, and I'm definitely an advocate for getting that word out there, letting people know what their options are. So I appreciate what you're doing, because that is really scary, exactly what you're saying, how many people would be in a position to do what's right and do what's fair for all. Yeah, and on the healthcare side, you know, you and I know uh, the spouse and the kids to another relationship they'll hold hands and sing Kumbaya, I think, when they're making the decisions, right? <laughs> I've seen those fights. I don't want to be a part of that. So so get your documents in place. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Meg, I want to kick it over to you for the next question. Um, when there is no other estate plan in place, it sounds like the doors open for a great deal of contention, especially in the instance of healthcare, like we were just saying, a uh, scenario where you might not be able to make the, your own decisions. Um, can you talk to us about how often that happens and what you should do to avoid that issue? It happens all the time. I think that's just the best way to, to phrase it. Um, families in that moment, the stress, the, the crisis, the emotions, it just gets really um, difficult to navigate those things and think clearly. Uh, because of all those factors. And let's face it, we all have priorities well beyond the crisis of the moment. And we still have to get kids off the bus or grandkids to school or all of those factors. So um, trying to navigate a new system and all of those things that are really unfamiliar in that crisis moment is it's just not ideal, not at all. I couldn't agree more. And that stress factor really does impact decisions when you're under the pressure. And uh, Jeff, how does a financial power of attorney differ from a healthcare representative? Yeah. So, you know, a, a lot of uh, firms, at least, you know, the last time I checked about 15, 20 years ago, uh, do them in one document. So we have separate documents. We do a financial power of attorney and a medical power of attorney, just Fundamentally, my personal feeling is that what you're doing on your financial side has nothing to do with your medical side. We find that a lot of people like to name different people because they have different skill sets that would um, 
make them the right person for a financial decision versus a healthcare decision. And then we can put a lot more robust uh, planning in place when you're not worried about canning, carrying one document around that's ridiculously long. So personally, you know, we carry it in two documents. Financial allows individuals to make financial decisions for you if you can't. And then the medical power of attorney or healthcare representative would allow someone to make those healthcare decisions. So because we do them in two separate documents, they're completely different. You know, they provide for two separate things and allow those individuals potentially to be different as well. And do those individuals typically, in your experience, uh, are they typically the kids or family, other family members, friends? Yeah, you know, we've done a lot of blogs on this and videos, and, and I'm, I'm only laughing because I, you know, it's a per definitely a personal feeling. You know, if you have a child who is responsible, who is detail-oriented, who is good with money, or who would be good with medical decisions, yeah, I mean, I think that's ideal. I mean, if you have a child who fits those descriptions, then my personal feeling is absolutely. The, the part where I think some people stretch is, you know, you, I've had parents who have told me, well, my son's horrible with money. He's filed three bankruptcies. He, you know, he, he can't manage a book. He can't do, he can't do this. He can't do that, but he's my son. So I have to name him. Right. <laughs> no, like just cause you're a child doesn't make you entitled to be the healthcare representative or the financial power of attorney. So my, my gut reaction is yes, a child would be great assuming that they meet the criteria and that they would be a responsible adult individual to be able to make those decisions. And just because you have an adult child who might be your oldest, that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be the best either. <laughs> the, the thinking of it has to be the oldest person is just fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I guess it's the old school thinking, but yeah, choose, choose the one that is the most responsible and that fits the, whether it be financial or medical better. And, and they are different. They're very different uh, jobs. So make sure you're looking at them as different as well. That's great advice. I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, and then I'd like to switch and ask about living will. So Meg, how easy is it to establish a living will? I think the surface answer to that question is it's very easy. It can be done very simply. It's a simple document. Um, it's pretty widespread these days. You can find them everywhere. Um, that said, it's not an easy decision process. It's a conversation. It requires a lot of thinking and a lot of effort to kind of sort out what do I want? What might I want? Um, my family sat down Easter Sunday two or three years ago and did ours around the kitchen table at my mother-in-law's. And I have young kids, young adults. And um, it, in some ways it was simple, but in others, they all kind of looked at me like, what would I want if that happened? Um, and it's something that we try to review regularly with them every year or so. Um, but I do think finding that document and getting that conversation started is simple and worth doing. And the beauty of that document is you can change it um, and you can make addendums to it or re revise it in, in the moment, but also go back and review it regularly. Um, it's a critical document. I've been in healthcare long enough to know that it's really helpful to the loved ones that are making those decisions when you're not able to make those decisions to have some sense of what you want 
when you are not able to verbalize that. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And I know that those conversations are often tough to start, but I appreciate that you're saying it really is worth starting that conversation. The toughest part is starting it. And I've found in my career, often people are avoiding those conversations, family members where the client or the patient, they are more than ready. They'll have the conversations with the professionals, but they're tiptoeing just like the family members are. And once the door is open, it's this robust, really meaningful exchange that they not only find helpful practically, but they really just absolutely value the, the nurture and the love and the, the conversation that's shared on a personal relationship level. So it, it's a good one to have. You just have to jump into the pool. Absolutely. <laughs> and on the, uh, on the topic of wills, I want to ask, what's the difference then between a last will and testament and a trust? And is it something that you should have one or the other, both? How does that all work? Yeah. So, so they're, they're different, you know, they estate planning in general, the number one question that we always get is what should we have? You know, what do I need? You know, my, my response is, well, you think I am far smarter than what I am. If you think I can answer that question without knowing anything about you. So a will is for assets that you have in your name alone at the time of your death. There are different reasons to do trusts. There are different types of trusts. Um, some avoid probate. Some are done for asset protection purposes. Some are done for tax purposes. So there are several reasons why you might do a trust. Um, you, in my personal feeling, you definitely need a will. Not everybody needs a trust, but there are definitely really good reasons why trusts are, are necessary and why they are used. Um, but because they are different, it works out really well. So we can keep them separate uh, and hopefully not confuse them. Although I guess we always will. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the clarification on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I can imagine um, that tensions rise again when healthcare assisted living costs uh, rise and begin to use personal financial resources. Uh, Meg, to start, how do you make sure that they get the care that they need and have a safe place to call home when you're working with a client? Ideally, my best case scenario is to actually meet a client in their home, in the setting where they're living, and just get to know them, have family members that are key decision makers or supporters with them, and just sit with them for an hour or two and just have a conversation very casual, but very informative. The whole while I'm kind of clicking through, looking around, checking cognitively what's going on, but also just trying to get to know what's their bucket list. What do they most want? What do they most want to avoid? And then we just begin to have a conversation about what are the resources? What are the options? It tends to be like a foreign language for seniors and their family members. It's just overwhelming. And you and I throw acronyms and verbiage around all day long that the average person in the community has never even thought of. So it's really helpful to have somebody come alongside them and try to kind of break it down and kind of talk about the different options and give them, give them recommendations. But ideally, and 
most importantly, at the end, help them figure out what they want and then help them achieve that goal. That's fantastic. And, and taking the time to get to know your clients and to help walk them through it is so, so great. Um, it can be such an overwhelming thing. And I, um, I liked that you just said uh, about the acronyms because it can be overwhelming if you don't do this every day. Uh, so that approach is wonderful from the client's perspective too. And Jeff, can you add to that and talk about the asset protection and what requirements are in Pennsylvania that we should be aware of? Yeah, sure. So generally speaking, um, at least in my head, when I think of asset protection, I think of asset protection in a, a pre-planning context and in a crisis planning context. So in the pre-planning context, you know, that might be a trust. And that's kind of goes back to the conversation that we had a few minutes ago where there are trusts for asset protection purposes. Um, a trust is just simply a contract between three parties, the grantor, the person who creates it, the trustee, the person who controls it, and the beneficiary, the person who receives it. And so we set up the contract in such a way that it meets the asset protection rules. And, you know, just generally uh, stated, whatever access that you have to the money, so too does your creditor. So we set up the trust in such a way that we can get asset protection in the pre-planning context, which allows us to fund our assets into a trust. Now, internally, we use a radio flyer red wagon as our tool to teach the trusts for clients who come in or who come to our workshops to show them how easy it is to fund the trust and use the trust to protect the assets. Um, it's a good visual, it makes it easier to explain and that allows them then to kind of see how it would work. In the crisis planning or crisis scenario, completely different rules apply. We're not using trusts anymore. Now we're saying, oh crap, you know, mom, dad, someone, a loved one is going to need skilled uh, nursing facility care or skilled care in the home in the near future. And there's a whole different set of rules for that. But, you know, the one thing I just want to bring awareness to is it isn't too late. There are there is so much misinformation out there. Um, and, and frankly, from attorneys who don't think that anything can be done. And we hear it every day. Well, I already saw four attorneys and I was told nothing could be done. And I had to spend down and so-and-so social worker or so-and-so at the hospital told me to call you because that wasn't correct. And they were, you know, they were one phone call or one meeting away from losing all of the money that they didn't have to. So without getting into the details of it, just because of how complicated it is, just remember it's never too late until you're out of money. Things can always be done under the Pennsylvania rules. Pre-planning, we have to do five years ahead of time. Crisis planning can be do can be done anytime. That's great information, and I'm so glad that we're able to share this with our members and share this yeah. with our listeners because I definitely am right there with you. It's one phone call away, and it can be frustrating if you're not knowing where to go for the resources. So thank Absolutely. you for pro providing that to our community. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap, I have a few fun questions. Um, so as you know, one of the YCA's motto is I heart Yoko or I love Yoko, uh, in that spirit, we have started the I heart Yoko triple trivia. It's a tongue twister, uh, where I'll pose a question related to the, I love Yoko motto to you. 
So I'm going to ask each of you to answer. For question one, the I, for the I in I heart Yoko, finish the sentence and tell us why you picked the response. The superhero or supervillain that I think is the most me is? Superman. For me, it's Superman. I, I uh, believe it or not, I'm actually fairly introverted in my personal life. And I look at her, shaking her head. <laughs> I, I kind of just like to put my head down and go about my business. You know, I, I go to the grocery store and, and net shorts and t-shirts with a ball cap and sunglasses on with my head down. And, uh, but yet when I'm in the office or, or when I'm in, in a presentation in front of an audience, I feel like I'm this like superhero with this big S on my chest and my job is to protect everybody and protect assets and, and help them, you know, stay. And so I just, I feel like I live two different personas. So for me, it's Superman. I like that. A mixture of Clark Kent and Superman. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and Meg, what about you? Are you the supervillain or superhero? Well, I'm never going to be a supervillain. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm a good girl. Um, years ago, everyone called me Wonder Woman. I've got lots of garb to go with it. So I have to identify with Wonder Woman. Although as I've aged, I feel less like Wonder Woman, a little less energy, but I still am a Wonder Woman wannabe for sure. (laughs) I love that. Those are great. Both great superheroes to be. (laughs) And certainly what both of you do exactly up the same alleys as those two personas. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So question two for the heart. Yoko is affectionately referred to as the snack food capital of the U.S. So with that in mind, which is your favorite Yoko snack? Examples, we have Snyder's pretzels, Utz potato chips, Martin's, Selfers, et cetera. What are your preferences? Meg, do you want to take that one? Absolutely. Well, I live in Hanover. So if I point out my window to the right, we've got the Ouija pretzel factory. If I point a little further beyond that, we've got Snyder's. And if I point directly in front of me about a mile, we've got the Utz potato chip factory. So I have raised my family in the snack capital of the world. And I have to go with chocolate covered Snyder's pretzels. The other competitors do not compare. Snyder's chocolate covered pretzels, 100%. Delicious. One of my favorites too, Meg. I'm so <laughs> jealous that you're right there too. <laughs> I, I, am, I am 100% the kettle cooked Martin's potato chips. I cannot stop those things. I love them. They're addictive. I swear they put something in them that makes you... Uh, feel that way. So for me, it's definitely Martin's. Martin's are a great chip too. And those are definitely addictive. You can't just open the bag and eat one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. And for our third question and final question for the Yoko, what is your favorite uniquely Yoko activity or tradition? So we have various things around the county, the Steam Whistle Concert, Heritage Rail Trail, York Revolution, Street Rods, Harley, Davidson Bike Week. What is your favorite activity or tradition in Yoko? So I'm a York Revolution guy. I was uh, one of the original Skybox holders uh, to have a Skybox that the Revs became a huge fan. So for me, it's absolutely the Revs. Go Revs. 
That's great. Yes. I'm right by the Rev Stadium too. So I get to see yeah. the fireworks right from my house and get to walk down to the stadium. I too am a Rev fan. Yeah. <laughs> and Meg? Well, interestingly, I went to the 50 plus expo last week and I met the gentleman from the Steam Whistle concert. So on Christmas, that's what we'll be doing. Christmas Eve, I believe. I knew nothing about it. So it was funny when I read that word on your document, I was like, oh, I know what that is now. <laughs> um, and I am definitely a fan of the Miss York County pageant because I have a child who was once the title holder of that one. But the one that really is our family tradition is the Memorial Day parade in Hanover. And that's something we've done every year, easy to get to, just a short little event and was a whole lot of fun to have them understand the importance of our veterans and what they've served. And we'd stand up and applaud as they walked by. And that's just kind of our best tradition for York County. That is wonderful. What a great tradition. And I personally have not been to that parade. So I'll certainly have to make it down there in the spring. <laughs> it's it's quaint and very family friendly. And the real focus is the vets. So that's what we loved about it. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that with us too. And hopefully some we can get some of our listeners down there to, to check that out and support our veterans. <laughs> thank you. Well, and with that, that concludes our episode today. I want to thank each of you for taking the time to talk with us and sharing all of this wonderful information with our community, with our listeners, great information. And it's definitely something that will open up my eyes to starting to plan and starting to think about these things as well. Uh, any parting words either of you have? No, just thank you for the wonderful service that you guys provide to our community and uh, everything that you do is greatly appreciated. So thank you so much. Agreed. Thanks so much. You're welcome. You guys have a great day. Thanks.